And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Philippe Matthews Radio Show. Thank you for listening and tuning in wherever you are around the world. One of my favorite, favorite historians uh, is back with me. Dr. Jacqueline Battalora uh, is uh, the author of Birth of a White Nation, uh, an incredible uh, piece of work where uh, she discovered white people. Uh, and she's also... <laughs> Uh, she, she's also a professor of sociology at the uh, St. Xavier University in Chicago. She's a former police op- Chicago police officer. Uh, she is just simply amazing. Welcome back, Dr. Jacqueline Battalora. Thanks so much, Philippe. Great to be here. Excellent. So we have been um, talking about quiteness for quite some time, for at least the last two years, uh, regularly. and. As a result of that, you started developing uh, and noodling this idea concept of, um, you know, how can someone dilute uh, their their behaviors of whiteness without losing uh, their white skin, if you if you will. Mm-hmm. And so you develop this white this what we call the now it's called the whiteness competency test or, or, or course rather it's a, a weekly course for 62 weeks a full year which is absolutely amazing walk us through that a little bit and then we can kind of backtrack and go for the people who have never heard of this before kind of give them a, 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 a back history on on how this came to be sure well um what the whiteness competency program is is it's a um, a weekly uh, once a week uh, you are given an assignment and it can be something really um, very simple like everywhere you go this week count the white people mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and or it can involve um, you know download this article um, white fragility by Robin D'Angelo here's where you get it uh, read it and and ask yourself these questions afterwards mm-hmm. so it has a whole variety of, of I just call them little mini assignments, if you will, um, and and it is a journaling-based um, uh, process. Mm-hmm. I think, and and whether people actually write something down isn't really the point. Um, I mean, I do call it journaling, and typically people think of actually physically writing, mm-hmm. um, but I guess I think of sort of that journaling process as as reflection whether you write it down or or take a walk um and process it in your in your head i Uh I don't think that really um matters so much as the fact of doing it uh, of being in that reflective moment whether whether you're um, writing it down or um processing it in your head so that's the the design of whiteness competency and what it's intended to do is build up what I call these three buckets. Um, And based upon my experience and hearing the stories of other people, white people and non-white people, who who seem to have um, a a level of competency in terms of their awareness of the workings of whiteness in the world, Mm -hmm. um, I I noticed that there were um, three, at least three um, primary components that were part of people's journey. And those included um, uh, a, a certain amount of historical information, accurate, I should say accurate historical information since we uh-huh. have so much that is not, 
Um, and then a, a bucket that has uh, a wealth of um, experience-based, whether it's one's own experience or um, becoming aware of those of others. Um, and so <clears throat> these buckets, the, the point of the weekly exercises is to build up your, your wealth of content um, within these, these three buckets so that you have um, reached a level that I would call um, reaching some sort of competency um, mm -hmm. in awareness of, of how this invented thing called whiteness um, works in, in, in this world. Well, let's, that's fantastic. So let's go back and kind of, uh, for the people who will listen to this uh, for the first time that doesn't have a, a history with you, um, what is whiteness and where did it come from? Sure. Well, whiteness was, uh, it is a label for a group of humanity that never existed. People were not referenced as white people anywhere on the planet prior to 1681 in law. Nowhere. They, if you look at the legal record, you'll see that they were referred to, um, for example, in the British colonies, uh, the laws referenced folks, uh, those who eventually became white, were referenced prior to that time as British and other Christians, English and other freeborn, or by their country of origin, the Dutchman, the British woman, um, the, the Portuguese, for example, but never, but never white. And we know that, um, so, so the question then becomes, well, why the heck would lawmakers come up with this new group of people that they're now calling white people? Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, I, I can do my best to, to wrap that up in, in a uh, very short amount of time, but really it deserves a much more thorough conversation, and that can be found in my book, Birth of a White Nation. So if, mm -hmm. if you really want to grab that, dig into that book. Um, but, but just to give a, a brief summary of it, we know there was a huge rebellion in the colony of Virginia, and the 1% um, in the British colonies were completely panicked following this rebellion. And the rebellion lasted a long time, well over a year, and it, it was not ultimately quashed or, or put down until British sent in troops. Mm -hmm. So this, um, this rebellion was enormous and, and really evoked tremendous fear on the part of the 1% in North America. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing that the back step that we have to take is that prior to and through what's called Bacon's Rebellion, um, Here's what is so important for us to know, because so few of us do, and that is this, that a person of British descent or a person of African descent, if he or she, or he, I should say, if he is free of indenture or free of enslavement, had the same rights and responsibilities as a matter of law. So that meant a free man of African descent could own um, enslaved persons of African descent, and some did. They could own indentured European servants, and some did. They could vote, and they did. They could run for public office. Don't know anyone who did, but by law they could. Um, and so that back, background knowledge is really important because what they did um, in response to Bacon's rebellion that absolutely terrified the 1% is that they completely and radically reorganized colonial society. 
Mm. And they did that through the, through the invention of white people. And so white people then were an invention to divide the masses as a way to separate the 99% so that they would not, no longer um, see themselves as a collective whole, um, but rather be divided. And so they, uh, lawmakers invented white people and imbued them with, um, with a, a sense of superiority that, and I shouldn't even say a sense of superiority. It was, it, it was a reality in and through law in that laws gave them more rights, privileges, um, and responsibilities. And then um, conversely, these new laws enacted took away this equal standing in the law um, on the part of persons of African descent and members of Native tribes. And mm-hmm. so they created an entirely new bottom to colonial society and tossed people of African descent and tribal people within that bottom. And so that's why white people exist. We, we there were, were three or four laws. There were three or four, and this is also known as anti-miscegenation. Is that correct? Well, one of the, the very first law where we see reference to a group of humanity called white people is, in fact, an amendment um, to a, a Maryland law that punished British women who married enslaved Negro men. And so um, they modified that law and um, through, through the amendment, they punished now British and other white women who married enslaved Negro men. And so that is that body of law we call anti-miscegenation law. And those were laws that made it illegal for this new group of people called white people to marry various people understood as not white. And those laws lasted um, from 1664. It was a law that wasn't derived from, from British common law or, or any other area. Rather, it was an invention of colonial North American lawmakers, and it lasted through um, until 1967, the famous case Loving versus Virginia, where the Supreme Court um, finally decided that it was unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. So, so I remember you sharing with us <laughs> that, you know, a person in, within these laws, a person of African descent couldn't vote uh, or run for office. Uh, a person of African descent could not uh, own guns or gunpowder, which back then uh, was critical. Oh, uh, for absolutely. Survival. Talk about debilitating for survival. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, the the third one, which was probably the most diabolical and devastating, is a person of African descent could not uh, sue or take legal action against this new designation. Right, could not testify against a white person. That's that's insane. So that's a, In, a diabolical um, law. Uh, yep. Of, of, of I mean, the truth of the matter before, is, this was before the Constitution of America was written. This was before That's exactly the, first, right. uh, uh, the, the meeting of Congress. A hundred years before. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Wow. Yep. So and, and truthfully, as as that. I talk, as I I speak to groups around the country, and and this is true whether um, I'm talking to high school students or undergraduate or even graduate students and even lawyers and judges. So that's a wide range of. <laughs> of intellectual, traditional, formal education, um, and life experience, that range mm-hmm. of, of ages and, um, and education. And regardless, 
folks have the hardest time with with understanding that there was ever a moment in time on North America when Europeans have been here that people were treated equally in the mm-hmm. law. Mm-hmm. And so truthfully, that seems to be the part that people are just, you know, blown away by. And then sure. secondarily, they're blown away by the fact that, what do you mean white people are, were didn't exist before? <laughs> you know, that's, it's really shocking for people. I'm like, well, people with low levels of melanin certainly existed before, but they were certainly not called white people. They didn't perceive of themselves as white people um, and, and were never referenced in any sort of law in that way. Um, you know, it's just overwhelming when we think about the uh, cause and effect, intergenerational um, or epigenetic or genetic memory fallout uh, of this. <laughs> that um, has, it, and I do remember us doing a show and having a talk about how it took at least after, because these laws would create a, a level of cognitive dissonance that would be mind blowing, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. You, you, you know, you can imagine that, right? You go into work Monday uh, uh, and, uh, you know, or, you know, Friday you, you, you're, you're off, you go to weekends or whatever. I don't know if that was happening back at that time, but I'm just, you know, making a metaphor. And you come in Monday morning <coughs> and uh, all of a sudden your world has, you, you have been labeled white. You don't even know what that means. And how do you, how do you institute, how do you institute that? And how do you deal with the cognitive dissonance? Because of course, uh, they had to they had to punish um, white women and men who uh, had any type of relationship or friendship or intimate relationship or friendship with uh, men of African descent. And That's women. right. Those those kinds of laws tell you much more about um, the those who dominated than about the people referenced in the law, right? Because mm-hmm. the, those who dominated were clearly threatened. J- just like a, sort of another area that comes to mind is um, when the early um, British colonists would leave their, their plantation and, and seek to go live with tribal people. Um, and that, uh, that, according to the 1%, absolutely could not be tolerated. So they would go in and slaughter um, anybody around who who had allowed um, a British or other European who was hired as an indentured servant um, to come live with them, because if they allowed it, then you know you could have expected um, hundreds and thousands to leave, because conditions were awful on plantations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for everyone. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. So, These so laws, clearly, this ahead. posed a serious threat. So talk to us about the cognitive dissonance aspect of it. On, 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 I was going to say on both ends, but perhaps not on the one percent because clearly they were uh, psychopathic. Well, think about what what has to be done here. You you're living in a society one day where um, what if you are still um, enslaved or indentured, regardless of whether you are um, from uh, have low levels of melanin or um, large levels of me- melanin are treated the same on the plantation. And if you are free of indenture or free of enslavement, you are treated the same um, out in the, the world outside of plantations. Mm-hmm. So 
to shift from that moment to a moment where there's this new label for people called white people and and that and the meaning that law gave to that um, is clearly one of you are you are above those people mm-hmm. I mean absolutely clear um, if you just think about the law um, that prohibited persons of African descent from testifying against white people I mean what what's the message to this new group called white people mm-hmm. you are mm-hmm. superior you you in relation to um, people of African descent and tribal people. So I mean, it's a very clear, a clear message of what the meaning of whiteness um, um, was. And so to shift, to make that shift from today we're equal to tomorrow we're not, and, and every human seems to have this desire to think of ourselves as good. And of course, mm-hmm. most of these folks were, were operating within a Christian context, right, where, where following Christian principles was presumably um, in the part of the air that they breathed. And so, so, so how do you do that? How can you make that shift? And the, the way to do it, um, cognitive, cognitive dissonance explains to us, is by um, literally demonizing the person who now you will not treat as fully human. So the only way you can treat them as not fully human is to is to demonize them. I mean, this is what militaries do, right? So that we can train um, young people to go kill other humans. We have to mm-hmm. make them the enemy, and it mm-hmm. makes it okay. Yeah. So so that's the you know the cognitive dissonance work um, that's involved, and and truthfully, that is such cognitive di- dissonance is such an important thing to understand um, as one becomes advances awareness of the workings of whiteness because it's mm-hmm. such a um, a central piece of the dynamic of how whiteness works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so as we look at uh, this diabolical, as they have called in, in history, peculiar institution uh, being developed, we, we then see how um, when you are now, I can only imagine what it was like for those people who were alive and and were introduced to these laws for the first time. However, their children that were yet to be born, and those children's children would be born already into a pre-indoctrinated system and society. And as time went on, it was normal when you come up as a child to see uh, people of African descent uh, as the lower class, as the underclass, as dehumanized, uh, uh, as uh, as uh, almost lower than the animals because you're born into it versus you were one of the first persons to see this new law take place and take hold. Absolutely. And, and they... And, and later generations of, of so-called white people, they did see um, non-white people in a lower status they, mm-hmm. because they couldn't be anything other than that because it was set up to ensure that that was their place. Right. And truthfully, in order for them to have believe, wealth, in order for them to live comfortably, they had to, the laws made it such that they had to uh, dehumanize these, uh, our people. 
that's absolutely right. The, the laws um, initially required that this new group called white people um, on a plantation, let's say, required that they be in a, a management position. In other, in other words, a position of authority relative to um, African-American workers. So required. Can, wow. So we can really honestly see how, uh, uh, you know, the, the genetic memory of that, the epigenetics, the axiology, uh, the intergenerational aspect of that has manifested today. It's what built America. This America was built and founded, if you will, on a white supremacist um, platform. Oh, uh, no law. doubt. Found, founding law had a preference for white people. White equals American was an equation crafted in founding law. It's a hard pill to swallow because most people think of white supremacy as uh, just starting with slavery, um, you know, three, four hundred years ago, not understanding that it was institutionalized uh, 200 years before that. Right. Absolutely. Well, and, and we've uh, you know, our concept of white supremacy has really been shaped by, um, you know, the in especially in the South through the KKK and then in other regions of the United States and which Europe after, through neo-Nazi. Which, neo which came after uh, uh, 16, uh, 1865 when, when, when Africans were free. That's uh, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't something and that was part of the system. It was like, Oh well, we you know how what are we going to do? All these black people are getting ready to rise up and compete with us in jobs. What are we? We have to keep right. them in line. Uh, and and they, all the lynching and all of that—it yeah. all happened after. Their white white supremacy was so deeply ingrained that it was just that idea of equality was intolerable. And so, a judge in Kentucky uh, met with another lawyer in his chambers, and they started the KKK. Wow. Wow, unbelievable! And, but um, but those ahead. fringe, those fringe groups um, are the ones that we tend to think of when we think of white supremacy. But that that is so um, narrow. That view of white supremacy is is far too narrow. Um, and just if you just take the very basic meaning of the word that white people are understood as superior. Mm -hmm. um, it, if that is a shared understanding of white supremacy, then um, those fringe groups are just that, only fringe, fringe examples. But mm -hmm. white people as superior has been part of our laws and policies from the founding of this country. And, and I would highly recommend, I think you mentioned this, Philippe, that you were going to have uh, Richard Rothstein, who wrote The Color of Law. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, because he will, his work, um, looks at um, lending policy and yep. real estate practices, and and you'll see that um, from the 1930s up until up and through the 1990s, y'all, that's right around the corner. Right, Again, right. law and policy virtually guaranteed that black people would never be allowed to build economic wealth. Right. Systematically excluded. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, I've, I've had many uh, conversations uh, with Richard Rothstein and uh, Rothstein, and it's mind-blowing, as it is with your work as well, it's mind-blowing to uh, get to the root of it, because we, you know, you just 
unfortunately, most people think that all of this began uh, in in slavery times, and it's like, no, there was a, a a big, big chapter that that ushered in and allowed uh, slavery, uh, particularly chattel slavery, to, to, right. to be very, very normal. Uh, and it was normalized. I mean, just think about think about the diabolical aspect of, of, of chattel slavery that's going on for hundreds of years, plural, hundreds of years. Uh, it's a terrorism and a genocide that is just uh, – Undeniable. Imagine the Holocaust going on that long. It would be, it, well, it would be impossible perhaps to even do. So yeah. um, when, you, and, and the other, you know, side of this, uh, and I know I get pushback from it, but I'm going to say it because I, I think part of this is just part of humanity. And that is, um, there is a inherent burst uh, uh, uh Problem uh, with with quite with with people of European descent being born into and under this label of Codex of White, that they are doomed at birth to become um, uh, white, not white supremacists per se, but definitely the benefactor of of white supremacy. Oh, so and I would argue. I the think form. of your huh. I would you. It's a requirement to participate in white supremacy. Normative wow. okay. U.S. Wow. society requires it. Wow. I okay. mean, now we're not talking neo-Nazi version, right? There's a wide right. range there. And that's yeah, the but, other thing, Doc. You're saying too is that you know, yes, there are extremism, but but you know, here's the problem: is that you know, uh, uh, my my name is you know Jane or Jennifer. And and I'm you know a good Christian gal or guy, and I ha I, I love black people. I have I love all people. I don't I'm not racist. It's, the the problem is those are the ones that are really um, at risk uh, for this thing called whiteness because they don't understand that the fact that they were born into this hundreds of years later that they they their they, their entire world is built around uh, white supremacy, and they don't even know it. That's exactly right. It's simply the norm. It's simply American yeah. culture. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's what's crazy is that you, you can't so, – so, so, ladies and gentlemen, you can't get out of life or America alive. You can't, you can't get out of whiteness alive in a sense. You know, you were born into it, and that's what you have to understand. Part of our brains are looking at this as a historical event that happened, you know, long before we showed up. Oh, it's not like that now. Well, yes, it is. Absolutely, it is. Well, we have been shaped by that past. We are not, right. we haven't, look, that's the reason for me this whiteness competency is so important because, you know, we, decades after the civil rights um, era and all of the, the accomplishments of that, of that time and of that fight, I mean, we are still deeply, deeply embedded in everyday white supremacy. And, mm -hmm. and so clearly we have, um, we need new approaches. Um, and so for me, this was one of my responses. As I go speak around the country and share the history of the invention of white people, people are always asking me, well, you know, okay, we get it. White people were invented. Now what do we do? And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I hope that mm -hmm. this is a, a useful 
lesson plan, if you will, mm-hmm. <laughs> to help oh, people it's, along that path. It's amazing. It's really amazing because, um, uh, it, you know, it, like I said this before, it's not just for white people. Uh, it's for all people. Well, anything that's normative in society requires all of us have a part in it, regardless of our race yeah. label. Yeah. So the first thing you have to kind of think about is like, okay, what is my role, uh, consciously or unconsciously, directly or indirectly, uh, in being a part of this white supremacist culture? Uh, how have I con- how have I contributed, and how am I complicit? Uh, and that's a, again going back to cognitive dissonance. It's hard because people don't want to say I'm. I'm. God forbid they're saying I'm a white supremacist, but even you know lower than that, I guess is a racist. Nobody, nobody wants to take on that label and responsibility. So what do we? So you know, for the for the person listening to this for the first time. Perhaps looking at whiteness competency uh, uh, to engage in it for the first time. What? How should they, as a white person, how should they approach it uh, without becoming paralyzed from the from the blame game, from the no, that's not me, I'm not that person uh, situation. Absolutely. Well, there, look, there are different ways, different paths. I I can share with you. Um, one of the reasons that I dug into history um, and that I, I speak so widely on the invention of white people is because for me, um, that particular um, knowledge base makes it so clear to people that this is not your fault. It, there, no, none of us can own that history in, in that sort of individualized sort of blame. <laughs> Uh, no, I I haven't met anyone who has enough of a messiah complex that they're going to own yeah. that. Uh-huh. So so it it comes with a freedom though because because then I can let go of my defensiveness right because it's not about me being a bad person. Um, it it's about something that has been done to me, um, and and it allows I think for an opening of mind and heart and spirit. Um, to so so that we are less likely to to be stuck um, in in guilt and blame because maybe some guilt and blame is is just part of a natural process particularly for those labeled white uh-huh. um, but I do know this we can't stay there we have got to to take the next step lean into it and move on because uh-huh. it does nothing to change. Um, the everyday white supremacy, and that's what we must do. Absolutely, and and whiteness competency, of course, gives us the ability to um, neutralize our brains, if you will, from uh, the normalization uh, of whiteness, white supremacy, or institutionalized racism. To be able to see it, for one, to identify it, and then to be able to categorize it and separate it from us. Uh, in a sense of uh, and and being able to see, oh, that's how I have been uh, silently complicit, um, but not intentionally implicit. But yes, implicit in the sense because I have, I now see my privilege. I do see, right. uh, and and that's the thing. People who began to see white privilege is very real and not something to deny. And and they will also be able to see and heal themselves in a sense. 
from not just uh, uh, hatred or, or, or white supremacy, racism against black people, but Muslims and Hispanics and, and Asians and everybody who is not white. That's right. Well, the, the invention of white people was very much tied up with this notion of this group as Christians. <laughs> so there's, it's kind of hard to talk about the invention of white without um, linking it also with the presumption of Christianity. Mm-hmm. That's, that's for sure. But I, I also want to throw into this mix the fact that, um, because people often ask me this, they say, Dr. Fadalora, why would why would white people want to um, build whiteness competency? You know, what's their mm-hmm. incentive? Um, and the incentive is you're liberated from what's been done to you that has taught so many white people to distrust um, and, and to be truly incapable of of loving people of color, mm-hmm. and that's you know the majority of the globe's population. So the, I don't. Absolutely. I, I well, think that's the white people, colonialism went around the world. Yeah, you know, real <laughs> colonialism now. But I mean, it, it 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 went around the world, and it is the world now. So you know, in a crazy, un, in, you know, diabolical way, America has become the world. Yeah. So so it's there. There is a um, a selfish incentive, I think, on the part of white people um, to to do this work and to grow. I mean, think of the energy that it takes. To, to continue to cast people of color in these negative, degrading ways. It's an industry. That is, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and how, how liberating it is to, to be free of that mm-hmm. and to really be able to allow the majority of the globe's population into your, into your life with open mm-hmm. arms. Unbelievable work. Uh, well, uh, how how can people get the uh, whiteness uh, competency course? How can they sign up? How can they join? Well, um, do you think we could post it um, for, with the Philippe Matthews show? Absolutely, we can. Why don't we'll we do a, that? That's probably we'll the easiest way. Excellent. So there'll be a link. Uh, there's a, uh, there'll be a link, ladies and gentlemen, right down below uh, for you to go and get all 52 weeks. Uh, if it come to your inbox every week uh, as a lesson plan, uh, and I think it's an unbelievably low price. It's like, I think, fourteen ninety five or something like that. It's less than 15 bucks, and, uh, you know, span that out for the course of a year. You, you know, this is something that will change your life and change the life of your family, uh, but also will give you, what I really like about it, it'll give you context and language, because sometimes you don't know how to... You, 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 you don't know how to language this 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 radi- radical realization. It is a very radical realization of of how you came to be a white male or female. Uh, and so, you, what I like about Dr. Battalore's uh, work in this is how she uh, uh, so eloquently uh, and effortlessly uh, explains uh, how this came to be, but then is able to give you the language and the context to be able to explain it to your children. Uh, and uh, to be able to share it and do it in a non-threatening way uh, where Dr. Robert D'Angelo's work comes in, where your white fragility will be neutralized and uh, you'll be able to to take ownership of this and take pride and say, you know what, this is work I have to do, not work that I should. Yes, I mean, the 
the white fragility is going to come up, but what, what white competency does is it helps you identify it before you enact anything harmful, hopefully. I mean, that's the, mm, that's nice. the hope. Very well, very well said. Fantastic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is this has been another amazing installment with Dr. Jacqueline Battalora on understanding whiteness, white supremacy, white fragility, white privilege, white, 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 white. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Have a. I hope everyone's having a safe and wonderful holiday, and same for the new year. I hope we'll get to talk again soon, please. All right. You take care, my friend. You as well. Bye bye. Take care, everybody.